Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, starring Peter Jones as the book. Incredible though it may seem, it is in fact possible that the strange and terrible history of the planet Brontetal, where Arthur Dent, Ford Prefect, and Zephard Bibelbrox are even now falling out of the sky onto curious and aggravating birds, admiring surprisingly large statues of unexpected people, i.e. Arthur Dent, exchanging hostile words with alien soldiers with inexplicable limps and generally having a fairly peculiar time of it, may yet admit of some form of explanation. Furthermore, it is possible that this explanation will have more than a little to do with the mysterious somethings, or whatchamacallits, of which the bird people refuse to speak. On top of which, it is also possible that Lintilla, the archaeologist, who may possibly turn out to have an almost impossibly strange life story, may play a major part in the uncovering of this explanation. It is even possible that pigs will fly, or that everyone will live happily ever after. In an infinite universe, everything, even the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, is possible. Tell me how you got here. Impossible. What do you mean? Well, it's something called the infinite improbability drive. Don't ask me how it works, or I'll start to whimper. But a ship? Oh, yes, a ship. It's parked in a cup 15 miles above us. Please don't ask me about that either. Is there anything you are prepared to talk about? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What? I know. All non-starters, really. Can you reach your ship? From here? No. What's the matter? You want me to go? No. It's just our ship was found by the soldiers and disabled. We've no means of getting off the planet. Well, I can't be much help. How many are you? Three of us are here. Lintilla. What? Name. Oh, Arthur. What's yours? I just said Lintilla. Oh, yes. Sorry. I thought you... Never mind. Hello. Come, you can help us. We've a lot of digging to do and the automatic drill's broken down. I don't think you can dig your way off a planet, can you? No. I said we're archaeologists. Ah. You don't look as if you're in good condition for digging with your arm in a sling. Is it broken? Oh, no. It's just a pseudo-fracture. Huh? Pseudo-fracture. It's artificially induced. All the pain, swelling and immobility of a fracture without the inconvenience of the fracture itself. Oh. Is that good? Good. Yes, particularly... Well, you wouldn't want me to have a broken arm, would you? Well, no, of course not. I mean, I hardly know you. Right. But the effect is useful. Is it? Yes, of course it is. Crisis psychology. The benefits of working under extreme pressure. Nothing more useless than a bored archaeologist. Come on, this tunnel leads to the work face. See this device. Looks like a watch. It's a crisis inducer. I set it to mark nine and... Hurry! They're after us! Who? No one! Come on, through the tunnel! They're coming! But they're coming! Well, if you say so... (laughs) The major problem which the medical profession in the most advanced sectors of the galaxy had to tackle after cures had been found for all the major diseases and instant repair systems had been invented for all physical injuries and disablements except some of the more advanced forms of death was that of employment. 
planets full of bronzed, healthy, clean-limbed individuals merrily prancing through their lives meant that the only doctors still in business were the psychiatrists, simply because no one had discovered a cure for the universe as a whole, or rather the only one that did exist had been abolished by the medical doctors. Then it was noticed that like most forms of medical treatment, total cures had a lot of unpleasant side effects. Boredom, listlessness, lack of, well, anything very much. And with these conditions came the realization that nothing turned, say, a slightly talented musician into a towering genius faster than the problem of encroaching deafness. And nothing turned a perfectly normal, healthy individual into a great political or military leader better than irreversible brain damage. Suddenly, everything changed. Previously best-selling books, such as How I Survived a Now with a Sprained Finger, were swept away in a flood of titles such as How I Scaled the North Face of the Megaperna with a Perfectly Healthy Finger, but Everything Else Sprained, Broken or Bitten Off by a Pack of Mad Yaks. And so doctors were back in business, recreating all the diseases and injuries they had abolished in popular, easy-to-use forms. Thus, given the right and instantly available types of disability, even something as simple as turning on the 3D TV could become a major challenge. And when all the programs on all the channels actually were made by actors with cleft palates, speaking lines by dyslexic writers filmed by blind cameramen, instead of merely seeming like that, it somehow made the whole thing more worthwhile. Meanwhile, Ford Prefect and Zephod Beeblebrox, who have fortuitously landed on the back of a huge alien bird, are again finding that the most worthwhile thing in Ford's possession is something he acquired from the Salisbury branch of Marks and Spencers, shortly before the planet Earth was demolished. Take us down to the ground, you stupid bird. No. I'm just going to circle around here for a while, then sooner or later you'll have to let go and continue your journey. I'm sorry, but there it is. Say, Ford, hold on. I'm going to crawl out along its neck. You're going to what? Crawl along its neck with my towel. Are you crazy? Miles up on a mad bird, you're going to dry it behind the ears? You watch. Watch? I'm going to pray, man. No any good religions? You watch. Here I go. Zephod, <laughs> how am I doing? What? How far have I got? How do I know, man? I've got my eyes closed. Don't you know how far you've got? No. I've got my eyes closed. Terrific. Get off my neck. No. Get off my... What are you doing? I'm wrapping my towel around your eyes, you bird. I can't see where I'm flying. You don't need to if you fly downwards. Just follow the force of gravity. It's very simple. Great idea, wasn't it? Yeah, keep running. With the towels. Great little number. Yeah, watch it! Keep running. Just follow the force of gravity, I said. It's simplicity that always works, you know. Here comes a light! Will you just keep running, man? I'm running. Oh. And it's the simplest ideas that take the greatest intelligence, you know. I mean, forget Marvin. I'm the one, you know, the intelligent one. When I go to bed at night, I don't need to read a book. I just glance through my brain for half an hour. Oh, run! We've got to find shelter! There's something in the distance. Can't quite make it out. Head for it. Keep running, man. Oh! oh. How many birds, you reckon? Couple of dozen. Keep running. Well, they can't keep it up indefinitely. Oh. 
I mean, they'll have to go and eat something, you know? I mean, looking at it purely from the biological angle. Right. But then they'll have to put their feet up for a couple of hours whilst they go through all the digestion bit. And then... Keep running! Yes. Probably going to need a new towel at some stage. Oh. Chronologically speaking, the immediately preceding noise, the... noise does not in fact belong in this position. It has not been heard by Ford Prefect or Zephard Bibelbrox, and neither have they witnessed the event that caused it. It is included at this moment partly to point up certain causal relationships between events past and events to come, and partly to create a sense of mystery and wonder. A. As to what it could possibly be, B. As to the nature of these past and future events, and C. As to whether these alleged causal relationships will become important, or indeed apparent. For the moment, suffice it to say that the event has taken place, and that Arthur Dent will very soon encounter one of its consequences. This is the sound of him emerging from the tunnel. How did you manage that? You got here minutes ahead of me. And with an imaginary broken arm. Well, that's the whole point. You always overcompensate for your disabilities. I'm thinking of having my whole body surgically removed. Right. Crisis over. I've turned off our pursuers. What? Oh, yes, good. Well, look, tell me. Lintilla! Would... Yes, you told me your name, thanks. The point is... Well... Lintilla, where have you been? You've been hours. Hmm? Who's this? I ran into some foot soldiers and had to stay hidden. I found this. Who is it? He says his name's Arthur. But I think he's harmless. He can help us dig. Excuse me, who is this? This is Lintilla. But I thought you... Where's Lintilla? Who? Over there at the workplace. This extraordinary thing has happened. Yes, very probably, Hello? but why... Is that you, Lintilla? Excuse me, can I get a word in edgeways? What do you want? Why are the three of you? Why is why there, there any one of you? you? Uh, could I have notice of that question? It's very strange. We were making hardly any progress at all without the drill. Then just when I turned my back, there was an extraordinary noise. What sort of noise? A sort of... Noise. When I look back, a whole shaft had opened up. Really? Really? It's exposed all the archaeological seams. We're almost home and dry. But that's that's impossible. Well, I don't know about impossible. It's very improbable. But why are you all exactly the same as each other? Well, you're exactly the same as yourself, aren't you? This is true. Well, well then. But unhelpful. We're clones. Ah, clones. I've heard of that. You mean there was one of you to begin with, and then exact copies were made, and now there are three of you? Yes, yes except that there are now nearly 578,000 million of us. Hmm? It's all right, the others aren't here at the moment. Can we get on with the work? That's rather a lot, isn't it? The problem of the 578,000 million Lintilla clones is very simple to explain, rather harder to solve. Cloning machines have, of course, been around for a long time and have proved very useful for reproducing particularly talented or attractive or, in response to pressure from the serious cybernetics marketing lobby, particularly gullible people, and this was all very fine and splendid and only occasionally terribly confusing. And then one particular cloning machine got badly out of sync with itself. Asked to produce six copies of a wonderfully talented and attractive girl called Lintilla for a Brantis Vogan escort agency, whilst another machine was busy creating 500 lonely business executives in order to keep the laws of supply and demand operating profitably, the machine went to work. Unfortunately, it malfunctioned in such a way that it got halfway through creating each new lintilla before the previous one was actually completed, which meant, quite simply, that it was impossible ever to turn it off without committing murder. 
This problem taxed the minds, first of the cloning engineers, then of the priests, then of the letters page of the sidereal record straightener, and finally of the lawyers who experimented vainly with ways of redefining murder, re-evaluating it, and in the end even respelling it, in the hope that no one would notice. A solution has now been found, but since it is not a particularly pleasant one, it will only be revealed if it becomes absolutely necessary. Meanwhile, Arthur Dent is about to discover the terrifying truth about the somethings, or whatchamacallits, of which the bird people refuse to speak. You see, these different strata in the rock face of the shaft represent the successive ages of this planet's history. Oh, yes. Isn't that interesting? Interesting? It's frightening. Is it? Well, actually, it just looks like a slice of layer cake to me. Then why did you say it looked interesting? Oh, well, I'm quite interested in layer cake. Look at it. Doesn't anything strike you? Well, it's... it's rock, isn't it? Down here we have layer after layer. The remains of early settlements, one on top of another. Then more layers, thicker ones. The remains of cities, each built on the ruins of the previous one. We're talking about thousands of years, you see. And then suddenly, above this level, what? Uh, more rock? But what's special about it? Uh, well, it's all smooth, no layers. Yes, no further building. No one actually living on the planet, or at least on its surface. So this previous layer is the significant one. And do you know what it consists of? Rock? No. Uh, stone? No. Um, some different sort of rock, the name of which temporarily escapes me. No, feel it. Scratch it. Oh, yes. It's slightly sort of soft and crumbly. What's it like? Uh, I know. It's, um... Yes. What's the name of that soft, crumbly sort of rock? But it isn't rock. Well, what is it, then? Shoes. What? Shoes. Billions of them. An entire archaeological layer of compressed shoes. Shoes? How can you tell? We knew all along. We just needed confirmation. Why shoes? Because, fella, shoes are the economic future of this galaxy. Huh? Stand up, both of you. Who are you? I only happen to be Haig Hertenflurst. I only happen to be the risingest young executive in the Domin Saxel's Shoe Corporation. I only happen to have masterminded the entire rationalization of this planet to total shoe orientation. I only happen to be sitting on top of the biggest development deal in the entire history of footwear, and I only happen to be very deeply disturbed at finding my planet riddled with subversives bent on undermining the whole structure of the Domin Saxel operation, and thus the very economic future of the galaxy itself. And I only happen to think that I would be very well advised to have both of you weirdos and the other two chicks revoked on the spot. Does that answer your question? Uh, I can't remember what I asked you now. There is, of course, also the question of the... The noise which, as has been suggested, was in some way connected with the sudden and fortuitous appearance of a deep shaft in the ground. Further noises are now to be heard at the very bottom of this shaft, which may go some way towards explaining the previous noise. This is what the new noise sounds like. After a while, it develops along these lines. and then continues thus. Act. I ache, therefore I am. Or in my case I am, therefore I ache. Oh, look, I appear to be lying at the bottom of a very deep, dark hole. 
That seems a familiar concept. What does it remind me of? Ah, I remember life. Perhaps if I lie here and ignore it, it'll go away again. Or then again, perhaps not. To be perfectly frank with myself, if it didn't go away as a result of me falling 15 miles through the air and a further mile through solid rock, I'm probably stuck with it for good. Why don't I just lie here anyway? Why don't I climb out? Why don't I just go zoodle wordle? Does it matter? Even if it does matter, does it matter that it matters? Zoodle wordle, zoodle wordle, zoodle wordle. And so on. Meanwhile, at the top of the shaft, mere nanoseconds have passed since Arthur said, I can't remember what I asked you now. You. Me? Why do those other two chicks we picked up look exactly like you? It's a long story. Quick, precie, then. Because. That's neat. Now listen, I could just have you revoked. Revoked? Yeah, K-I-L-L-E-D, revoked. But instead, I think I'll suddenly take a liking to you both. Oh, don't we get any say in the matter? Foot warrior! I've decided to take these two back to my office and like them. Sure. I think I'd like them on the wall best. See to it. We'll go in my business buggy. At once, sir. And don't limp. No, sir. I'll try not to, sir. Don't just try. Cut it right out. Yes, sir. Now you're limping with your other foot. Yeah. Yes, sir. Don't limp with either foot. Right, sir. You two prisoners. Who? Who? Us? Pick up the foot warrior and bring him back with you. Thank you, sir. Welcome to my office, the nerve center of the operation here. Since you were so keen to find out the truth about us, you shall see it in comfort. Foot Warrior. Sir? Showed him the film. Uh, yes, sir. Hello. You two, carry him to the projector scope. What's the matter with him? His feet are the wrong size for his shoes. Ah. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is a Dolman Saxlil Galactic Shoe Corporation film. Adventures in aggressive marketing. Take a planet, any planet. Take, for instance, the planet Bartrax or Hertring Fur or Earth. Earth? Or That's where I come from, Earth. but it's been demolished. Or any of the case, many planets we have currently declared marketing being demolished much. You watch. We will see what can really be achieved by looking at the planet Brontosaurus. That's my baby. They're very proud of me back at Central Office. Mere centuries ago, a happy, prosperous, busy planet, all right. <laughs> yes, not a care in their world. Happy? Ooh, terribly happy today, thank you. Yes. Uh, and you, Rufus? Oh, yes, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, busy? Oh, yes, yes. And healthy, bright eyes, clear skin, feet in good neck. <laughs> Isn't life a wonderful thing? Oh, yes. Super. Oh, yes, only one tiny little thing wrong here. They're not making money for the Dolman Sachs Little Shoe Corporation. So? So, on the far side of their moon, we set up a Dolman Sachs Little Shoe Shop intensifier ray. And suddenly, the people are gripped by an insane, irrational desire to build... Shoe Shop. In every road, on every street corner, in every city shopping precinct, shoe shop after shoe shop. Oxford Street. What? Oxford Street. They just showed a picture of Oxford Street. And then we really put the screws on them. <laughs> yes, 
fashion. Every year, the shoes in the shops are either much too wide or much too thin, or in extreme cases, even joined together at the heel. Oh, yes, how we laughed up on the backside of their moon. How we cried with laughter when every last shop on the planet was turned into a shoe shop. How we coughed and spluttered with mirth when the people tried to revolt and we had to send in the foot warriors. Emergency power supply. Guard, sir. Think I've got gangrene of the feet. Well, then just seize the prisoners. Prisoners? Yes. Seize each other. Now, now, what's going on out here? Who's that breaking down the door? Marvin. I suppose you'll want to be rescued now. Oh, yes, please. Not you. Come on, Lintilla. Let's get out of here. Well, come on, then, if you're coming. Wait. I've just got to turn on my crisis inducer. There. Oh, come on, they're after us! Down the corridor. This way? Yes. That's up the corridor. Right up the bloody corridor, come on! Well, that way. I thought you were pointing come down. On. And so everything points to shoes as being the mysterious somethings, or whatchamacallits, of which the bird people would not speak. And the curious fact is that the shoe shop intensifier ray mentioned mere seconds ago is in actuality a phony designed to make Dolman Sachs Lil executives feel they're doing something excitingly aggressive when in fact all they need to do is wait. The shoe event horizon is now a firmly established and rather sad economic phenomenon which in future times will be taught as part of the basic middle school life, the universe and everything syllabus. Here is a typical computer class from the Brandisvogen Megalise, Unidate N11VCK168. Good morning, life form. Hi, teach. Are you sitting comfortably? Yes. Then stand up. Harsh economic truths, class 17. You are standing up? Yes. Good. Pause it. You are living in an exciting go-ahead civilization. Where are you looking? Up. What do you see? The open sky, the stars, an infinite horizon. Correct. You may press the button. Thank you. Oh, that feels nice. Posit, you are living in a stagnant, declining civilization. Where are you looking? Down. What do you see? My shoes. Correct. What do you do to cheer yourself up? Um, press the button. Incorrect. Think again. Your world is a depressing place. You are looking at your shoes. How do you cheer yourself up? I buy a new pair. Correct. Can I press the button? All right. <laughs> so nice. Now, imagine everyone does the same thing. What happens? Everyone feels nice. Ah, forget the button. Concentrate. Everyone buys new shoes. What happens? More shoes. And? More shoe shops. Correct. Can I? No, no. Oh. And in order to support all these extra shoe shops, what must happen? Well, everyone... Must keep buying shoes. And how is that arranged? Manufacturers dictate more and more different fashions and make shoes so bandy that they either hurt the feet or fall apart. So that? Everyone has to buy more shoes. Until? Until 
Everyone gets fed up with lousy rotten shoes. And then what? Why can't I press the button? And then what? Come on. Massive capital investment by the manufacturers to try and make people buy the shoes. Which means? More shoe shops. And then we reach what point? The point where I press the button again. All right. <laughs> so nice. That's really nice. And then we reach what point? The shoe event horizon. The whole economy overbalances. Shoe shops outnumber every other kind of shop. It becomes economically impossible to build anything other than shoe shops. And bingo, I get to press the button again. Wait for permission. Now, what's the final stage? Um, every shop in the world ends up as a shoe shop. Full of? Shoes no one can wear. Result? Famine, collapse and ruin... Any survivors eventually evolve into birds and never put their feet on the ground again. Excellent. End of lesson. You may press the button. <laughs> oh, oh, that's nice. Thank you, Teach. Goodbye. Uh, aren't you forgetting something? What? Press the other button. Oh, right. <laughs> and so forth. Meanwhile, at the Dolman Saxlil base, the excitement is, of course, mounting. <sighs> you did a good job finding us, Marvin. Where have you been? In a deep, dark hole. I climbed out because I started to like it too much. Come on, keep moving. We must find a way out of here. Right! Whilst a mere mile or so to the east, Zephod Bibelbrox and Ford Prefect are very keen to find their way into somewhere namely some sort of shelter from the continuing revenge of the bird people. They find it in the form of a derelict building which is vast, very low and very, very old. The door! Open it! Looks like no one's been in for centuries. All these amazing old ships. Yeah. Just rust and wreckage. Yeah. Spooky man. Like, um, what are those things eggs come out of? Birds. No, no, after that. Hey? What do they come out of the birds in? Eggshells. Oh, that's it. Just like huge, broken eggshells. And all the dust, man. And the huge cobwebs. The way you get huge cobwebs, you get... Yeah, look out, man! Excuse me. One huge spider. Polite, though. Transstellar space lines. Must have been real googie ships once, but now... One look and they'd fall apart. I mean, look at that one. This supply line. Hey, it's yeah. weird. You know what I'm thinking? No. Neither do I. It's frightening, isn't it? Let's take a look. Ford? Yeah? Is this ship? Feels like it's on power. Just a very slight vibration. But it must have been here for centuries. Hey, man, pass me those four bits of tubing. What, these? Yeah. I'm gonna make me a stethoscope and take a listen to this baby. Yeah, I can hear. 
here. Something. What is it? Ford. I don't believe what I just heard. Here, let me listen. Okay, but you better keep your head screwed on, kid. What has Zephod heard in the space liner, and is it really as horrifying as all that? Will it lead him directly to the discovery of his goal, despite his singular lack of exertion in that direction? Will it become absolutely necessary to reveal the unpleasant solution to the problem of Lintilla's clones? Will everything tie up neatly, or will it be just like life, quite interesting in parts, but no substitute for the real thing? What is the real thing? Some of these questions may possibly be answered in the next inexplicable episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. In that episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Peter Jones was the book, Simon Jones was Arthur Dent, Geoffrey McGiven was Ford Prefect, Mark Wing Davy was Zaphod Beeblebrox, Stephen Moore was Marvin and the Pupil, David Tate was Eddie, the Computeach and the Commentator, John Baddeley was Bird 2 and the Foot Warrior, Rula Lenska was Lintilla and her clones, and Mark Smith only happened to be Hig Hurtenflast. Radiophonic sound and music was by Paddy Kingsland of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. The programme was written by Douglas Adams and produced by Geoffrey Perkins. Many sentences contained in that programme were of a very dangerous length and were performed by highly trained vocal practitioners. On no account should inexperienced life forms attempt to imitate them without proper medical jaw and lung supervision. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.